0: hey what's going on everyone this is another episode of doable discipleship we are the show that helps you grow a show that's designed to deepen your faith in god i'm your host brandon robinson i am not joined today by jason wheeland he is uh actually taking care of baby number two he and his wife just had a baby girl so he's at home being an incredible father so jason if you're listening to this hey we love you uh we're excited to get you back on but by all means be a dad, spend time with your family, and enjoy that time. Today, guys, we have a great guest with us. We have Megan Greider. Now, Megan has been in ministry for over 20 years, almost 30 years in ministry now, and she actually is the director of Celebrate Recovery here at Saddleback. She's been in this role for about a year and a half now, but she has tons of wisdom, tons of life experience. I'm really excited for her to share about her time in ministry, uh, her time as a mom, that she's still a mom. um, But just continuing on in this theme of time, and we can often feel like time is getting away from us, that time has passed us by. Well, I think Megan's story is really going to bless us. Um, Whether you're a parent or not, wherever you're at in life, whatever station you find yourself in, she has a story uh, that can encourage us, that can challenge us, that can inspire us. So I'm really excited to interview her and have her on the show. Megan, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing so great. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we're we're excited. We are excited too. This is um, this is actually an episode I've been looking forward to for a while. So guys, if you don't know, we plan our episodes out ahead. So we had kind of have a chart of who's going to be on, what we're talking about. And Megan has been uh, one that we've been actually trying to get on the podcast for a while, uh, but just different reasons didn't work out. So we are here today and we are really excited. Megan, share with us just kind of about your early days in ministry, how you got into ministry, um, maybe even life before ministry, how'd you even get into what can feel like a crazy world sometimes?
1: Yes. Well, and it's so interesting because I didn't grow up in the church. So ministry wasn't okay. natural to me. And actually I grew up, I wasn't neutral about the church. Like I was against faith. I grew up at mm. a home right, where my dad really believed that if you believed in Jesus, you were an idiot. And I went to different schools where, you know, I grew up believing the Bible was written to subjugate women and that we, you know, Christians were not for marginalized people. Like I I had opinions, but what happens with opinion and reality is that I also had the reality of brokenness in my home. You know, I come from a home of that, that had a lot of addiction that had undiagnosed mental um, health issues for one of my parents. And so I grew up with a lot of chaos and I think kind of wanting to control my narrative about faith mm. it was a way that I could feel like I was in control and what ended up happening is my my life went off the rails I grew up in a home of addiction and um, found myself really embroiled in addiction chemical dependency at a very very young age so okay. by the time I came to the end of myself I was pretty young i was I was nineteen actually when I got sober from um, a chemical addiction and what I found is that there was a whole philosophy of a, of a God of your own understanding in 12-step and a and an higher power of, of your own making. And the problem with that is I'm my own higher power, and I'm, I'm a mess, if, like if it's my own understanding. Mm-hmm. And so all of my philosophy about faith really butted up with the fact that I was all sin, even though I didn't know what that word meant, and I didn't have a hope for a Savior you know, I, I didn't know what that meant. So I actually came to faith through um, a sponsor in a twelve-step program when I was 21 years old, and she brought me to a little little tiny church that was a church plant. It was very very similar to Saddleback in its early days. Wow. Um, my previous pastor is very similar to Pastor Rick's temperament, and and what ended up happening is it wasn't about the world for me at that moment. It was about recognizing my need for a savior. And that was, that was true. And just saying, okay, I know I need a savior, Jesus. I know I've spoken against you, but your word says, if I call on you, I'm going to be saved. And so through that transformational experience, what happened was I was radically saved. And I was in this really small, amazing church, um, that we rented a women's club in Redondo beach. I mean, it was just, it was so cool. I think there were like
2: 22
1: people the first time I went to church (laughs) I wore pearls because that's what I thought you were supposed to do when you go to church, church. and in board shorts and they're drinking coffee. And I was like, what's yeah. happening? Um, and so what ended up happening is that, When I was initially in 12 step, I dealt with behaviors, right? So whatever destructive behaviors we may have, whether it's drinking or eating or overspending, I focused on why I was doing the things that I was doing or what I was doing, but I didn't focus on the why. And so because I didn't deal with some deep issues, once this, this beautiful faith that I had stepped into got perverted. For me in that Mm. I wasn't doing destructive behaviors that the world would think were destructive, right? I wasn't drinking, I wasn't using. But what I started to do was because I hadn't dealt with a lot of my core issues, I started serving people because I needed them. So we got into ministry because of the need, right? When you have a small church and all of a sudden there's nobody to teach Sunday school and you're the one at six months who has the most spiritual maturity (laughs) on teaching Sunday school, or you're the one, we had a drama ministry at our church. We did original drama and I was an actress at the time. So that's how I got into ministry. And when people invest in you, like my pastor and his wife and, and that we created a relationship. We fell in love with Jesus. We fell in love with people. We believed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then need kind of took over. So what happened is that if there was a need, my husband and I wanted to fill that need. And on the surface, what that looked like is we want to fill that need because we want to be helpful. But really when we would get to the bottom of it, we wanted to fill that need because we wanted to be needed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was, you know, a lot of our early ministry, all of our early ministry, men, you know, decades of ministry was spent serving people out of our need to be needed. And um, when I'm really honest, when I did the work of Celebrate Recovery, I wanted to be people's savior instead of pointing to people's savior. And that's really like, those are just ugly words, but the truth of that helped me because while I don't do anything different now, my life doesn't look different in terms of ministry. I still serve. I still love to love people. I still, if you need me to move a chair or take out trash or preach a sermon, I'm, I'm in for whatever mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. But the difference is I don't want to do it. To make me feel better, I want to do it because God has done so much for me. I get to express that. I get to. I get to talk about that.
0: Yeah, that's that's so good. I think about even my own story in coming into ministry um, in my early twenties, around 20, 24 for me. But a lot of it was motivated in I want to prove. To myself, I want to prove to other people that I am competent, that you can trust me, that I can deliver things. Um, I needed that acceptance and I needed that badge of approval. And I think whenever we're, we, we were talking about on a previous episode, this idea of Kairos time. Um, measuring time by like the quality of the time or, or a season. That's what we call seasons of life. We don't call it Kairos time because we're not, we're not Greeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are Americans in the 21st century. However, these seasons of life, I think there's a lot of wisdom to when we're in transition to, to slowing down, to pausing, and to allowing God to do a work in us because we we come to these things, we're super fired up um, and we've seen a lot of transition in our life. We've seen a lot of heart change and it's exciting. And then you see needs in different places and you're going, oh my gosh, I can can meet that. I can feel that need. Um, And then usually we just, we rush headfirst into it without ever really taking a step back and saying, am I the person to meet that need? Am I keeping someone else from meeting that need? Am I mature enough and ready to handle what I'm stepping into, um, or do I need a little bit more, a little more seasoning? I need a little more cooking. I need to to be where I'm at in in, in a in a place of just receiving, um, receiving go what God has for me before mm-hmm. we're, we we go outward or have okay. output
1: to try to be people's savior, right? So mm-hmm. my husband and I were known at our church as the fixers and I loved that, right? If a ministry wasn't, if youth went down, we're like, yeah, we're there. Any <laughs> ministry, we've, we did all the ministries, including facilities and kids and drama and stuff like that. And I used to wear that as a badge of honor. Like your numbers are down, we're gonna bring them up. But what I didn't understand wow. is that that toxic approach, that perverted approach to ministry, what I was doing, is it's really expressing a lack of faith because what I'm saying is that that's what that's what God is measuring and I'm going to fix it as opposed to saying, what's God doing in this messiness? What does mm-hmm. he do? I was so uncomfortable with anything that was messy. I was so uncomfortable with anything that wasn't linear. Um, I wanted to control all chaos. And, you know, I, I love when C.S. Lewis says, you know, God is good, but he isn't necessarily safe. I mean, that's not the direct. <laughs> But, you know, our God is yeah. so much bigger than I can imagine. And who am I to say that God isn't in the uncomfortable, that God isn't in the painful? And because I didn't really, I was just trying to fix everything. And ministry became an addiction for me. That's actually what ended up leading me to celebrate recovery. And our my husband and I buried ourselves in ministry. And in many ways, um, we kind of sacrificed our children on the altar of ministry, not not unto Jesus, but ministry. Mm. That's not, ministry is what we do. It's not who we are. And it should be an outpouring of an inner reality. And what we did is we used it to manage our emotions. If I was feeling like my life was chaotic, but I could fix your life, that felt good to me. And um, that was, that got very dangerous because what that does is that for me, it created a life of resentment, a life of bitterness. Cause I get really mad when people wouldn't do what I told them to do. Like, look, I just fixed your life. I don't know why you're not taking these steps. <laughs> hey, I just understand. fixed you. You're <laughs> look, good. Don't Thanks do those <laughs> things. Your pain is making me feel uncomfortable. That's really what yeah. I
0: get into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious about this. So, how did you get to this place? How did you come to this conclusion that, oh my gosh, I'm in ministry? for the wrong reasons. Was that a, you know, this light bulb moment for you where you just woke up and it happened? Or was it kind of a slow burn over years and
1: a decade or two? It was a process. It was a process that crystallized um, when Celebrate Recovery came into my life. But God had started doing a a bunch of work before that. I think, um, first of all, the process began when Our life wasn't what we expected, you know, with, I know we're going to talk about my family later, but, you know, we didn't have the life, we didn't have kids that created a normal family, we didn't have jobs and vocations that created the kind of financial stability that was kind of happening in the community that we were living in. And, Mm -hmm. and so I kind of had to get to the end of myself and go, my life is as unmanageable from an emotional level, but like no one would have looked at, they would have looked at me and not known that. But um, so the work really began for me actually with a, with a women's Bible study called breaking free about a decade or so ago when I was introduced to the concept of strongholds. And mm. I'm like, I don't know what has a stronghold of me because I'm thinking like most people do. I'm thinking about, behavior type stuff i'm thinking about you know i'm not drinking i'm not i'm not doing drugs i'm not overeating i'm not doing any of these things but but my relationships my addiction to people and what they thought of me my my um desire to control people places and things that was making my life unmanageable so god started opening my eyes to that yeah it didn't, it didn't really crystallize until it became so uncomfortable that I had damaged relationships with people I was supposed to be shoulder to shoulder in ministry with. You know, when you yeah. can't look people in the eye and you're trying to serve alongside them, that's a huge indicator that, that, there's, that there's some real issues and the issues God revealed weren't them they had their own brokenness they were me they were how i was responding how i was reacting so the process was a long process but the crystallization of the process was through something called a four step which is a fearless and searching moral inventory in 12 step lingo and um in celebrate recovery lingo and what that did is i just had to look at my stuff and i had to own it and that's so, where i could
0: can... yeah Go ahead. S- no no so so I'm kind of hearing you talk about kind of this this coming to an end of yourself twice. So one at 19 years old, and then another at I'm sure I don't know how old, but later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did it two radically different situations, right? So one coming out of chemical dependency, and another like ministry dependency, if we if you will. Did it feel the same? Did those two things were were they similar? Did they feel the same or Were they kind of in two separate buckets for you?
1: No, it's the same bucket. I think the second one had more shame associated with it because I think there is a misunderstanding of the concept of what new life is, right? I felt like I am called to be a new creation and I accepted Mm -hmm. Jesus at 21 years old. And therefore, my past is gone, right? The old has gone, the new has come. me, What that meant is God has done all redeeming work which is true, Mm -hmm. and I am to partner with him in that redemption so that I'm understanding that I am becoming a new creation. So I really wanted my past to be my past. So when I was coming to the end of myself, I had a lot of shame because I felt like I should have this. I should get this together, especially at that time. You know, I, I was a middle-aged woman. I'd been in ministry for, you know, two decades. And I was like, why don't I have this together? Because the the misconception is that when God redeems us, we got to get it right. As opposed to my redemption is dependent on me acknowledging that I need him every moment. It doesn't matter if I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years or 40 minutes. I need him. When I, start taking, I started taking it back and kind of trying to earn his approval and wanting him to be proud of me. Mm-hmm. And the revelation of that kind of lie that I was operating under cuz a lot of times nobody sets out to be captive to anything. Nobody sure. is like I'm I you know what this sounds great. I think I'm going to be right. <laughs> but what happens is if, if I I didn't understand how my past had affected me. I didn't understand mm lies that I believed and until I did the work. And now I can say to this day, that's not, that's not true. That's not the truth of who God says I am. You know, it's okay for me at almost 50 years old walking with God for as long as I have to say, I can't go another minute without you. I don't want to, I don't know what to do. God, you have to help me. That's actually where he has empowered me and equipped me even more because I'm at the end of myself.
0: Mm Hmm. That's 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 really good. As I'm hearing you speak, I'm thinking of something a a pastor said. I heard it in church a while. I might have been a teenager, but it just came to my head. Of he was saying, you know, when we come out of our past, whatever we all have a quote unquote past, something that we are coming out of that we have come out of. We come out of it, but there's still a bit of the residue on us. He was like, you know, if you, it's like you're you're washing your hair, you have to you got to wash out the shampoo. You have to wash out the conditioner. He said, you know, it takes God's word. It takes biblical community. um, God himself, the spirit of God living inside of us to wash us clean. Um, And these things start to fall away surely, but they start to fall away slowly. Um, And there's a process and that process needs a lot of grace and it needs a lot of time. And I think that we forget that, or we, you know, we, we read that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 verse, and it's like, see, I'm a new creation. God, do something. I should be totally different. But we still have these old ways of thinking. We still are carrying bits and pieces of our story and shame of our past, maybe even things that we're feeling guilt about that we've never confessed. It's still in and around us, and it takes it's a process of you know, unraveling all that in living into this new life that we have, this what we call being new creations. We are new, but we have to learn to live as our, our new selves. It's like being plopped down a new country. You gotta learn to live there. You gotta learn the language, you gotta learn the custom. You have to learn how to maneuver and operate and thrive in this new place called the kingdom. And what I'm really interested of. so to fast forward a little bit where you are now, you are the director of Celebrate Recovery. You're here at Saddleback Church. Um, You said earlier to me, this is the only other place you've been in ministry, your previous church and Saddleback Church. How has God redeemed this time for you? How has God restored all of those years that you maybe felt, man, I wasted a lot of years in ministry and I was getting it, I didn't get it right, I was getting it wrong how has God restored that now? How, what does it, what does it look like for you now?
1: I think one of the things I'm most grateful for is that, you know, our God is such a personal God and the way that he wooed me into this kind of full and free faith, whereas before it was more of an entangled enslaved faith is that he brought Celebrate Recovery to my old church and, I didn't do it because I needed Celebrate Recovery. No. Actually, we were the fixers, remember? So I was going to help everybody because I had some recovery uh-huh. experience too because my husband and I both had 12-step experience. So we were super excited to help all those people. And um, what God ended up <laughs> doing is, you know, I say this all the time, that God didn't bring Celebrate Recovery to my church to bring it to my church. He brought it to me. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, a few months in, now, and I had to make some really hard decisions. Like I had been doing the my role for 15 years. I was good at it. I loved it. And it was kind of like, oh, well, I'll do both because that's always what we've done at our old church. You know, small churches, that's what you do. And my pastor yeah. you know, to this day says, God, just let him, do. you have to choose. And so when I chose Celebrate Recovery, it was at a, a cost for us just even you know, from vocational ministry, from a, from a salary perspective, which is a huge trigger for me, financial fear and stuff. But I just remember I've never felt called to anything before. And that was, the first, I, I felt like I'm going to serve, but I never felt called. So um, when yeah. I really started recovery, I didn't start as a leader. I started, I was leading it, but I, st- I worked it. I, I did it. And um, my husband and I worked the program. It's a family ministry. So our children um, were in Celebration Place and the Landing, and you know, this long time ministry family. And then before we knew it, half of the staff of the church was involved in Celebrate Recovery. And this little church of 250 people had 120 people in Celebrate Recovery. That's mm. God on the move. So, um, oh, yeah. I really, we, that we were going to be at that church for the rest of our lives. You know, that's where we, my husband and I both came to faith. All three of our kids were baptized there. Like we were, that was our, that was our crew. We loved it. So when the opportunity came to Saddleback, I I actually, um, Pastor Johnny Baker would, would tell you, I mean, I turned the job down like three times. The job didn't exist Really? for, for one. No. Um, so we had, we had met uh, Celebrate Recovery as a national ministry, and I was involved as a state representative, which was a volunteer position because I was on fire okay. for CR. Okay. And still just a few years into this process, but having had our lives transformed, not just mine, but watching people at our church just become free and unleashed and ready to, to take off their mask and stop with their Sunday best, and see what Jesus mm-hmm. did in that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was so exciting and so beautiful. So, um, and, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to come here, not because I don't love it. I just was, I'm, I, I want to go where God calls me. And I was happy in that community, mm-hmm. feeling like God mm-hmm. was on the move. And it became very clear to my husband and me that God wanted us here. And it was very painful. It was a very painful process. Now on this side of it, it's amazing. But moving to a place where you don't have community, right? So we had all our kids that were in our youth group with us that were now adults and their kids were, and we had led them to Christ. And, you know, you have that very rich tapestry of experience and ministry. And, um, but Ken and I would my husband, and I would look at each other. And we're like, what are we doing at Saddleback church? Like, how are we here? Why would God want us here? We, we don't even feel like we have anything to say. Um, so I just think that it's, it's amazing. We know we belong here. We know that God called us here. Um, I don't know what that, what work that looks like, but I do know that I'm just, I'm happy to be here and know that my messiness and my pain serves a purpose. And even if it's just to talk about that pain and to say, you can love Jesus and struggle. Mm. You can be in ministry and have your life falling apart. And that doesn't mean God loves you less or more. It means that God has work for us. He he wants to do the work in us. So, I I mean, I don't know if that kind of answered your question. It's such a deep question because there's so much texture to it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know I, that's great. That's great, Megan. I, I think a part of how God restores the time or what we would consider lost time. So we're going to actually get into this in the next episode, but I'll just kind of get into it now. Like we, we experience time past, present, future. We're, we're in a sense bound by time, um, but that's not God's story. God is not bound by time. Time is not bigger than God. So when we look at our past and we go, well, dang, that's all lost now. I can't get those years back. Right. And that's true. We can't go back, but God doesn't mean that God is uh, leaving those years in the past that God is using all of the lessons, all of the things that we've learned from our past, the things that we may feel shame over, or we may feel guilt over. He's using all of that, transforming it and restoring it so that it can be used in our present. And so that it can be used in the future. And when I think about here, you speak, and I think about your story, I say, yeah, that's absolutely true. God has used all of the years um, at your previous church and time in ministry and the lessons you've learned and the hard conversations and things that may have made you cry and all of these things. God wraps up, God redeems it. And God, it's now a part of your story that you're using here at Saddleback where you are now. And I think that's such a powerful word for us. It's such a powerful lesson for us to, um, to hear and to understand that, yes, our past is our past, but our past can still be used in our present and in our futures. And because of Jesus, because of God, because of what the Holy Spirit can do with it, it's not lost. It's redeemable. Um, and it can bless and encourage so many other people. I mean, it's how we get wisdom, right? It's a lot of times it's listening to other people who have been through it, who can put her arm around you and say, Hey, listen, what you're going through now, I've been through that two or three times now. Let me give you some wisdom. You should go this way, <laughs> you know, and then we don't have to experience all the struggle and all of the hardship. That is how God redeems and restores the time. And thinking about your story, you're also a mom, right? Yeah. So you have tons of ministry experience, full-time ministry. Um, <clears throat> Even you're saying as a, a volunteer state representative, I don't know what that means, but that sounds like it's a lot of work. <laughs> it that doesn't sound time. easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. But you also are married. You're raising kids. I believe you have three kids. You're raising a family. And two of those kids are special needs. Mm-hmm. So what was it? How is it raising a family, raising children, full-time, full-time mom, full-time wife and full-time in ministry. How did you manage the time with all of these different things pulling on you, which are all important? How did you do that?
1: Um, I think that there were phases of doing it really well and phases of not doing it well. You know, my husband and I have been married almost 28 years. Um, okay, We have a 22-year-old, uh, named Steven and a 19 year old named Caitlin and Dylan is our youngest at 15. And <clears throat> when we had Steven, you know, we had a way, uh, we were in full-time ministry. we were in youth ministry at the time, both my husband and I.
0: Okay.
1: And we worked outside of the home too, because we were a small church. So it's not like we could get support, um, yeah. financially. I think our first paycheck in ministry was $222 for both of us for the, you know, so it was, we kind of lived life so that we could do ministry. So we did, I did all, you know, we did all sorts of consulting things and, and stuff like that. But um, when, when my oldest was two and a half and I just had our, our middle daughter, he actually um, had an accident and had a traumatic brain injury. Oh wow. And so we didn't know it was a tra- traumatic brain injury at the time. So there were a lot of years of knowing that Steven was different and not knowing what that looked like. Like he was my first. And I remember he was in preschool or something and they said, you know, he's not really good with scissors. And he was two. And I was like, am I supposed to give him scissors? I didn't know. Right. I didn't know you give your kid scissors. Yeah. So to me, <laughs> I felt like, Because he's not practicing at home because I don't give him scissors.
0: Sounds dangerous.
1: So I think, yeah, I'm a first time mom. I was like, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. So what ended up happening is um, as it became more clear that there were issues that were both neurological and associated with his traumatic brain injury, that brought us into a whole new world and we handled it very differently so i you know it's it's a world of those of those people who have kids and a special education um in the system of special education you know there's there's therapies you know there's a lot of therapies and for us we didn't have in-home therapies i had to drive my children including Mm -hmm. my daughter to get his speech therapies occupational therapy his physical therapy and also because we didn't have a name for it, he wasn't—he wasn't clearly diagnosed as being on the spectrum at the time. It okay. was—it's—it's it's a hard kind of lonely place as a mom, mm. especially with my firstborn. Um, I didn't—I didn't know where I fit in the mom world, and I didn't know, you know, being such a close church community, a lot of us all had kids at the same time, so their kids were hitting. You know, my best friends were they all had sons and they were all hitting different milestones. And I remember that season of just pushing through, right? My husband, if he were here, he'd say he escaped into ministry and work. That's where he, cause it was painful. It's painful to not know what to do as a parent. And the balance of that, what happened for me is the way that I tried to balance it is I tried to control everything. So working multiple jobs, having multiple children, you know, I was like, my kids, this is how they're going to eat. This is, I mean, I wasn't trying to be organized. I was trying to control. We we did Mm -hmm. all sorts of diets for, you know, people who had, you know, for special needs. And we, we, I just tried to fix it. And that's how I controlled my time. And my time was controlled. I had at the time, it's a Franklin day planner. So that back in the day, this is kind of before (laughs) we had our iPhones and our calendars were there. And I just, I would make after after list. I was highly, I didn't feel like I had a moment. And one of the reasons why I struggled is because I didn't have a moment. So I wasn't feeling anything. I wasn't experiencing, I was just, I was just making it all happen. And so I didn't, that season in life is a very painful season when I look back, because I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't loving my family. I was serving my family, but I was doing it to manage my own pain and escaping into um, into busyness.
2: Okay. Into yeah.
1: what wasn't necessarily beneficial busyness either. So I mm. think that was that was. And then when our when our youngest was born, you know, he has issues as well. So we had to add all those therapies on for him. I, you know, I remember my daughter in elementary school; she just would bring her homework, and we'd be at a place called Pediatric Therapy Network for three hours, three times a week for the boys for different reasons. And she just would do her homework on the floor. Um, And there was a lot that she sacrificed, but she would say, mom, I don't, you know, that's my life. I didn't know any other way. She has a heart of compassion and that's a way that God Mm. redeemed that time, right? Like what I felt so guilty about. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of resources for her to do like swim or Girl Scouts or anything like that. And she Mm. was always there, but this girl who she is now, she's a poli-sci major with social justice as her minor. Like she cares about people. She cares about can't speak for themselves and things like that. So that's a way where I look back and I think, I wish I could have done it differently, but do I really?
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I, I haven't thought about it from that angle, but yeah, to hear you say like, that's a way that God redeems that time. Um, What was built in your daughter, what he was doing, the work that he was doing in your daughter at the time, um, sitting on the floor doing homework but how to i bet it's pretty cool as a mom now to be watching her uh bloom and grow and seeing man look at how she's blossoming now look at what was god was doing in her and look at how that's coming look at the fruit that is bearing now that's that is really uh, that's beautiful and thank you for sharing that um, that's great so you know when we spoke before i loved how you said it you said uh you called it the locust years, and I think that is so that is such a, a a poetic way to say that. you know, locusts come, they destroy, they eat up everything. you know you think about the even in the Bible, like the plagues and the locusts um, coming like a dark cloud and leaving nothing behind. Um, but it's you know it's out of that soil that your daughter comes and yeah. what she's doing now it's out of that soil that you're now the role that you're serving in will celebrate recovery and the director of celebrate recovery of all things. And it's it's really beautiful to think about what we consider loss, what we consider locust years, what we consider, no, God, they came, they destroyed, they ripped up everything. And in a sense that could be, that may be true, but it's like God quietly, and I think it's a so like God, God quietly just come behind and starts just is dropping seeds in that soil. And it's painful. We don't, we never look back. We don't look at it. We just keep our heads tucked and we keep moving forward. And then before we know it, we look back and there's trees and vegetation and there's fruit. And we're going, how in the world did this happen? And it's because God came behind us. He was following our footsteps. He's out in front of us and he's behind us. And he was taking care of what we considered to be lost. And I think that's really beautiful. And I want to just thank you for sharing your story uh, as a mom, um, struggles with addiction, recovery, um, time in ministry, being in ministry for the wrong reason. All I mean, your transparency, I know that it's it's blessed me and I know that it is uh, blessing our listeners as well. Um, so as we think about winding this episode down, guys, so we, as we think about our doable, Megan, one of the things that we do is we try to end all of our episodes on, okay, so what's a practical task? What's a practical takeaway? What can we do with what we just learned? And as you're speaking, I'm thinking, take some time. I think it'd be good for us just to maybe carve out 10, 15 minutes in our schedule in the morning, whenever, whenever time works for you. Maybe it's a lunch break or when your kids go down to sleep or before you go to bed, take some time, grab a piece of paper, type it on your iPad, type it on your phone, whatever. Take some time to think about what you consider to be your locust years and ask God, God, redeem this. Show me how you're redeeming it. How can this be used now? What, what What are the things that I consider to be lost? It could be relationships. It could be Time in certain places like states and cities, or whatever it may be, different uh, churches or institutions, jobs, whatever that may be. Um, take some time to think through, pray through prayerfully. God, what do I consider to be my locust years? What do I consider to be lost? And am I seeing that correctly? Just because I consider it lost, is it actually lost? How can this be used, God, if it's placed in your hands? And then kind of just take that piece of paper, take whatever you wrote it on, take if you just sat and reflected and thought about it, bring that to God, give that to God in prayer and go, God, in my hands, this is loss, but in your hands, it's not. So take this and, and redeem it, restore it, do with it, what only you can do. And I want to give us another practical tip that we can take away. If you're on Facebook and I would venture out to say that we're probably all on, on Facebook or have some proximity to Facebook go ahead and search Celebrate Recovery Saddleback Church. This is where Megan is. They are doing things weekly. There's different avenues and on ramps for you um, to be supported, for you uh, to find community. Um, And this is not just substance abuse. This is not just addiction. This is across the board and it's free and there's incredible, incredible resources at our disposal. Um, So if you're listening to this episode and going, man, I, I really like to control things. I don't, I don't just like to control things. I need to control things. You can find support. You can find community and celebrate recovery. That is a place for you. So I want to reiterate, it is not just substance abuse. It is not just addiction. It is across the board, whatever things that we find that that are hangups for us that snag us that Uh, just always seem to be pulling on the back of our shirt. Whenever we're trying to get a fresh start, it always is just there in the background. This is a community for you. This is a place for you. You can find hope here. You can find healing. So on Facebook, search Saddleback. um, I'm sorry, Celebrate Recovery, Saddleback Church, uh, and you can get connected. Megan, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Anything else to say? I think this is great, but anything else you got? We'd love to hear it. Uh,
1: I I think. Uh, thanks for having me. I love. I love that God can use my pain for a purpose. And and I think what you're talking about for the God restoring the years. You know, I love. For me, one of the chapters that was most transformative in the Bible was is Isaiah 61. You know, where He doesn't just promise to set the captives free and to give sight to the blind, but it also He brings beauty from our ashes. And it doesn't mean that ashes are gone. It means that from those ashes, something has come. And I think that's so important for us to remember. And there's a reason why Jesus preached that, his very first public ministry, right? He, He unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and he preached Isaiah 61, because God is a God who isn't waiting for me to get to get it together. He's a God who says, yeah. I am your God and I am mighty to save and I am going to free you. Because he has, you know, Jesus said it's for freedom that he set us free. So if we're struggling mm-hmm. in our faith, like me, I struggled as a woman who loved Jesus. I loved God. I loved others. I was just immersed and captive to my own resentments and bitterness. And God said, all you have to do is say it. And I will take that. And not only will I restore the years that the locusts have eaten, but I will make beauty out of those ashes. I will turn your mourning into gladness.
0: So good. That is so, so good. I think that is the perfect place to wrap it up, to end it. Um, All of those resources, guys, we will put that in our show notes. So it'll be a nice, easy click away for you. Megan, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your story. Thank you for blessing us. Um, And thank you for helping us, you know, uncover, unwrap how God can restore um, the locust years, how God can restore what we consider to be lost in our past. So thank you for that. Guys, we love you. We will be back next Tuesday with an episode on God and time. So we talked a lot about how we relate to time. We're going to get into how God relates to time. And we're going to have a very special guest to break all of that down for us. He is a theological, um, has incredible theological mind. So I'm really excited for that. We will see you again next week. Love you guys. See you soon.